we need to stand up and start saying like, our country is killing people. It is dangerous to be pregnant in this country, particularly if you are a member of BIPOC community, right? We, the, the data is irrefutable. And I think we need to start, you know, shouting that from the rooftops and being very clear when we talk about that data, where does that data come from? It comes from the medical industrial complex. These horrific outcomes aren't coming from birth centers. They're not coming from home birth. They're not coming from midwifery models of care. They are coming from hospital-based physician models of care. So they need to own these outcomes and we need to make them own these outcomes um, so that we can really start to look at the things that we know that work to improve the outcomes. Hi, my name is Augustine Colebrook, and I'm the principal at Midwifery Wisdom Collective. I speak on this podcast about big picture, political issues, and the future of our profession. Hey, y'all. I am Jamara, and I'm a midwife. I'm also a birth justice activist. And this season, I am looking forward to sharing stories of Black midwives and the communities they serve. Hello, beloved birth community. I'm Angela Love nurse midwife since 2004, preceptor, and mother. I have a home birth practice called Midwife Love and a national telehealth practice called Midwife Rx. My mission is to keep birth choices available and to educate the next generation of midwives for our daughters and grandchildren. Matriarchy now. I'm Layla Wyatt. I get to share with you the voices of student midwives from across the country and beyond. This season, we focus on those students who just graduated, are about to sit for the NARM, or did yesterday, and we get tips and tricks for you for what happens at the end of the student midwife journey. Okay, well, so nice to talk to you. I've been wanting to do this for so long, and just thank you. First of all, thank you for being here. Oh, well, you're welcome. (laughs) Yeah. And um, at Midwifery Wisdom Podcast, we have mostly midwife and student listeners, but we also have other birth workers. So like we kind of spread around and talk to lots of different kinds of guests, but I'm really excited to be back here talking with a midwife. So (laughs) tell me um, about where you are in the world, what got you into midwifery, and then we'll go into all the amazing things you've done. Okay. Um, let's see where in the world is Aubrey San Diego. No, Tompkins. Um, I am in Thornton, Colorado, um, which is essentially just North of Denver. Um, it's one of the little suburbs of Denver. I actually live in Denver, but my birth center is in Thornton. Um, so along the Colorado front range, um, urban corridor, I am the Yeah, it's beautiful. I love Colorado. I am the clinical director of a freestanding birth center um, called Seasons Community Birth Center. We have kind of an interesting little history. (laughs) We just opened as this new entity in January of this year. Um, We are a nonprofit uh, birth center. Um, Prior to that, we had been... um, part of a larger physician group that actually had multiple um, OBGYN 
physician clinics and practices in the area. And then they decided mm -hmm. to open up a birth center, um, hired me to design it and build it for them. Um, and we opened that iteration in uh, 2019, in April of 2019. Right, right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that was pretty close to like the Mountain Midwifery closing, I think, right? So Mountain Midwifery Center closed in 2019 in, I think it was October. If I remember correctly, mm. I had left Mountain Midwifery Center in 2017. Right. Um, right, right. So okay. I wasn't um, there or involved in or know much about the closure other than everybody who know from the outside. Right. I, yeah, I wasn't on, yeah, the, yeah. I wasn't well, on the in. <laughs> a space opened up in the community of like, this is so needed. Right. So you guys presumably stepped into that space? No, this first we had iteration. Been no, we were in works before Mountain Road Free Center closed. Oh, okay. Okay. So okay. we started building this birth center in 2017 um, okay. when I left Mount Road Free Center because we are a complete build from the ground up. Wow. So we had to have an architect and a construction company and build right. the, the building and then go through licensure and accreditation. So we had no idea that Mount Buddha Free Center was going to close. I um, know. I don't think very and many it was people very did. sad. It was a shock, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep. It was mm -hmm. a shocker for everybody and not what I would have wanted um, in any way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, um, what happened to make you then open your own nonprofit? Tell us about that shift. So in 2000, so we opened in 2000, in the spring of 2019, and then in 2021, the private practice physician group um, sold themselves to a private equity firm. And right. the private equity firm, you know, they made a good show and they said, we're not like all the other private equity firms. And we don't want to just close, you know, strip all the assets and close everything. And we really like the birth center. We think it's great and like the future of, of healthcare. And so we're going to really invest in it. Um, and you know, they lied. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and they, they stripped the physician practices, um, and closed us in October. They came to us the very end of September of last year and said, we're closing you, we're closing you effective October 31st. Um, and because you are not profitable enough for wow. our business model. Um, we had in that month of October, we had, I think just over 20 families due, and many of them were due at the end of the month. Um, and as you know, and as most midwives know, um, who are practicing, you know, um, out of hospital community-based care, uh, people don't have babies around, right at their due date and nope. um, can actually go past their due date. Uh, and so we were looking at a significant number of families in the third trimester already um, in, limbo. in limbo. Yeah. So, and it's so devastating. I mean, I mean, this is why profit doesn't belong placed on people's bodies, right? It's, it's, it's so devastating to yes. imagine that kind of like order from on high after you had these plans with a midwife that, you knew. I can't even imagine what it felt like for you. Oh, it was, it was devastating. I mean, the meeting was devastating because first of all, to be told that you're not profitable enough, 
um, yeah, is right. disgusting, right? Right, uh, right? So that was maddening. I, the meeting was very frustrating. It was um, one of our original, one of the original physicians who wanted to found the birth center, you know, start the birth center with me. Um, and then a representative from the private equity group. And it was just very disheartening. It was very matter of fact. It was very kind of cold. Um, my staff across the board, their first reaction was, what about our families? Mm -hmm. um, in the midst of, they were all, we were all just fired as well. Like everybody oh, at this meeting lost our jobs. <laughs> oh my um, God. And their response was, what about the families? Um, and I think that just goes to show, you know, who yeah, does who we're this working work. with. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, and who yeah, is here. Yeah. So besides the October people, we had 52 families due between November and December. Oh my God. Um, so we, um, I demanded slash requested slash asked for <laughs> a meeting with the CEO of the private equity group. Um, and I essentially shamed him um, and said, you can't just close on October 31st. That doesn't make any sense. That's not how this works. These people um, will be left out you know, in the cold and we can't do that. And he, after, you know, 45 minutes of me kind of hammering on him, agreed that we could finish the October due dates um, through- Even their, if they went into November. Even if they went into November, yeah, through their two week postpartum um, period. So then we, <clears throat> so we technically had our last babies in November. Um, with right. the new model. And then uh, what happened next is nothing short of miraculous, really, in my mind, we, the community really rallied and said, no, um, we don't want you to close. You are, we are one of the few birth centers in Colorado who was working with Medicaid. Um, we have a very inclusive model. Um, and we're really seen as a safe space for a lot of marginalized members of our community and our state. And so the members of the community said no and really stood up. Um, and we were approached by the amazing organization Elephant Circle, which is yeah, a Colorado-based, yeah. yes, amazing, yeah. amazing, amazing. And Elephant Circle came to us and said, the community is demanding that you stay open. We want you to stay open. How do we make this happen? Um, and so they became our fiscal sponsors for the nonprofit. We had some serious fundraising efforts. We had um, two, what I would call, I guess, like angel donors. Um, Amazing. We had no idea were around, do you know what I mean? Who came out. Yeah. Um, yeah. The private equity group, I, to their tiny credit, I don't like to give them credit, but they agreed to sell us all of the equipment, all of the like hard things um, right. in the facility. Um, and one of the donors agreed to cover the cost of that. Um, the landlord of the building, because the the physician group we had done, you know, it was a long-term lease. And so the landlord of the building agreed after some work, uh, <laughs> but did agree to transfer the lease, uh, the remainder of the lease to, to Elephant Circle, to us through Elephant Circle. 
Um, and we, like I said, our last births were in That's November. That's a miracle. That's it's a miracle. a miracle. Like I, yeah. you know, I've been in the birth center world for 15 years and yeah. um, I've been involved kind of on the national stage for several years. And this is yeah. unheard basically of. unheard of. Yeah. 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 Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. And part of that is, is obviously your knowledge and expertise and advocacy. And part of that is elephant circle and their incredible reputation Absolutely. and leadership. Yep. Um, and then there's a lot of luck there. That's a, yes. that's a big ask and a big leap in both directions, the equity firm and the location. I'm really impressed. Yep. Great job. Yeah, it, it is nothing short of miraculous, really. So yeah. we had our last birth in November. We December was a whirlwind. I don't really <laughs> know what happened. It all happened anyway. <laughs> we we reopened on January 9th was our first um reopened a clinic day and we had our first birth on January 13th um, amazing which was a family who had been coming to us before obviously and mm -hmm. um had temporarily had some visits you know in November and December with another practice and then came to us um we she was very special to us because she was a second time family for us mm -hmm. she, um has Medicaid and the other birth center that would take Medicaid wouldn't accept her because of her BMI. Oh, so she oh. had no birth center option. And in the state of Colorado, um, CPMs cannot, this is a whole other side story, but CPMs cannot currently um, bill through Medicaid. So she really, her only other choice was a big hospital-based churn and burn practice. Um, and she was terrified of that. So she yeah. was kind of in all of our hearts and heads as we were scrambling in December. <laughs> Sometimes that's such a powerful motivator is to have that yes. person you're opening for. Yes. I know that feeling. Yes. That's yeah, beautiful. She, was in her, she and her family were incredibly motivating for us. So, yeah. and we did it, you know, we opened on the ninth. She had her baby on the 13th. Her due date was the 20, was in the twenties, I think the 23rd. Um, but yeah, it was pretty phenomenal how that worked out. <laughs> That's amazing. That's amazing. Yeah. And that alone would be incredible and impressive 15 years of practice and mostly out of <laughs> hospital and opening birth centers and negotiating lease changes. But Aubrey, you also work on the national stage. So tell us what you do there. Yeah, I am currently the president of the American Association of Birth Centers, um, which, you know, has been around for Massive. decades and yep. yeah, and is an amazing resource and supporter um, for birth centers and the midwifery model of care. Uh, and I'm really honored to be the president. It's been a wild ride. Um, I'm coming into my fourth year, the term is four years, um, and we switch in October, the elections and everything is in October. Um, and so in October, I'll enter my fourth year and the, the next president will be elected in October. And then that person and I will have, a, we have a year of kind of like co-leadership where I'm mentoring them. Beautiful. That's a really smart yeah. system. It mm -hmm. is. It's a really smart system. Yeah. That's beautiful. Well, um, in that role as the president of AABC, um, you've had the opportunity to speak publicly recently about <laughs> the problems in the South. So um, do you, 
you know, I got to hear some of your words uh, because of internet. Will you yes. explain kind of the, the overview of, of what's happening there and what you spoke on? Yeah, so the state of Alabama, um, and I'm not an expert, obviously, in the intricate details of the long history of Alabama and midwifery, sure, but sure. Um, a little snapshot of right now is that um, there were regulations written for birth centers in the state of Alabama in 1987. Um, and I don't know that there ever were any birth centers. There may have been. That's part of the history I'm not um, familiar with. But in 2010, Alabama, there were no birth centers, and Alabama passed a law that they call the Red Tape Reduction Act, which meant that they were kind of like, from their perspective, what they say is they were going through regulations and old laws and like cleaning things up and getting rid of things that weren't needed anymore and and all of that. And so they took down the birth center regulations um, and, you know, made them not not up anymore, not legal anymore or whatever. <clears throat> and that was in 2010. And since then, there are three um, amazing powerhouses of Black women <laughs> who are working towards opening birth centers um, in Alabama. Uh, yep. One is Dr. Yashika Robinson, and her organization is called the Alabama Birth Center. She's a Black uh, female OBGYN. Yep. There is um, Heather, Dr. Heather Skeins in Birmingham um, yep. and her birth center is Oasis Family Birth Center. And she's also a black OBGYN. And then yep. there is um, Stephanie Mitchell. Yeah, who who's also Dr. A, Stephanie Mitchell. Yes, I think Dr. Too, Stephanie but, Mitchell, yes. And she's yep. a, a double certified CPM and CNM. Um, right. And she has her DNP. So she's a doctor midwife. And, and that's her handle on Instagram too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. She is working to open up a birth sanctuary Gainesville, which is in one of the rural um, maternity care deserts in the state. So yeah. the three of them um, are working to open birth centers. And so there was a request made to reinstate the birth center regulations or open up the process for birth center regulations um, so that they could get open. And so last year, last August, the health department essentially just reposted those regs from 1987 um, and said, here they are, here's the regs. And they opened up for public comment and you know, written submission of comments and um, that process that happens when health departments, what it's called promulgate uh, new regulations. They have to post them publicly, then there's a period of open comment and you know, there's a process. The clearly, since they were written in 1987, they weren't super great. Um, <laughs> a lot yeah. has changed since 1987. Yeah. Um, so, you know, there was a lot of things wrong with them. They were written before CPMs were legalized in the state of right. Alabama. Um, right. So there was a lot of stuff. There was a lot of um, comments and things that needed to be changed. And um, I went last year as well to Alabama to represent AABC and tell them, you know, these regulations are really old. They're from 1987, you know, all this stuff. And AABC submitted a 40 something page rebuttal <laughs> line by line of what in the regulations wasn't appropriate. And, right. um, and then all of that closed at the end of August, I believe last year. And the health department said, okay, we're going to take all of this information and all of this you know, the, the oral testimony, the written submissions, and we're going to take it all and we're going to make new regs and we'll let you know, stay tuned. 
Um, and then, you know, a year went by of basically radio silence. Um, people on the ground in Alabama would attend the public meetings that the health department had in hopes that maybe they were going to say something about the regulations. Um, and they never did. And then on June 20th, they promulgated the regulations, which means made them public um, and released them with a letter. And the letter said that they had, you know, created a committee of stakeholders and had consulted with multiple organizations. AABC was the first one they listed um, and that they were, you know, here's the new regs. Um, and they are awful. They are even worse than the ones that were written in 1987. How is that possible? I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Oh my God. It's so weird. Part of the problem is, from what we can tell, um, there were no maternity care providers of any type involved in oh the- Oh my God. <laughs> It's laughable. It's it is laughable. What it are really they doing? Is. What are they doing? Yeah, it's unbelievable. The list of people who they use in their committees to rewrite regulations. There's a um, there's there's physicians, but there's no OBGYN. There's like an orthopedist and a neurologist. Well, that's um, helpful. Yeah, the really helpful ones I thought were the veterinarian. Um, <laughs> And especially oh the other really powerful voice, I'm sure, was the funeral home director. Oh, my Lord. Yeah. You can't so, make this shit up. <laughs> no, you cannot. That's like this. If it was if it wasn't real and it was like a movie, you wouldn't be believable. Um, it's just awful. Crazy shit, right? Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, the what are they doing? I what don't know. Nobody doing? knows. It's very bizarre. The regulations well, the part that are caught now... my attention was that they never actually did what they said they did in their letter, right? No. I mean, no. So, so that the evidence that they're presenting is not real. Correct. They never contacted AABC. Um, the second organization they have on their list is the CABC, which is the uh, uh, organization Accreditation that credits. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh huh. Uh -huh. Um, it's, it's actually, it's a that very seems like fraudulent. That seems like fraud. Yeah. Yeah. So they said that they consulted them. So we, as AABC reached out to CABC cause they are two separate, um, organizations yep. Yep. and we mm -hmm. reached out to them and said, Hey, did they contact you? And a and CABC was like, no, <laughs> nobody contacted us. This feels um, like a, um, the foundation of a, of a lawsuit. Yeah, I mean, I, this is the thing that's really frustrating. I was talking to a really good friend of mine here in Colorado and she's like, well, there has to be something you can do. Um, and I said, there really, it's, I think health departments are very interesting because there's really no oversight of them. There's no place you can go to, to demand accountability. Their mm -hmm. processes are extremely opaque. Mm -hmm. They don't have to tell you what they're doing or why. Um, or give any reasonable this. time frame. No, Lots of times when this. states open up, they leave like 24 hour comments that like start and stop at midnight or something, you yep. know, like, yeah. Can, and they, yeah. Mm -hmm. their version of publicly posting them is often on some obscure website that nobody yeah, buried knows about. Behind links. To, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You have to be like checking it um, to be able to notice it. And there's no, 
there's no oversight. There's no place you can go to, to say, Hey, you know, who's watching these people? Yeah. This and isn't so working. The, yeah. yeah the, the Which is left- interesting because they, their, their stated purpose is to be watching out for other professionals. Yeah. Yeah. It's a really interesting irony. We went through something similar in Colorado. So yeah. Mm-hmm. We- Tell us about that. Yeah, that was so, be my next question. <laughs> <laughs> Mountain Midway Free Center opened in 2006. And previous to that, there had been a birth center in Colorado in the mid to mid 90s that I think was maybe open for one or two years. It was very short lived. Um, and so that was technically officially the first birth center in Colorado. But from that closure in the mid 90s to 2006, there was nothing. And so we had a very similar thing at Mount Midwifery Center where there were these regs. Ours were, had been written in 1983 um, and hadn't been updated. And ours were not nearly as bad as the Alabama ones. Uh-huh. Um, and we were able to kind of be to actually open and function underneath the Colorado ones, but they were very restrictive. They um, required a physician, uh, you know, involvement or supervision. They had some really terrible, um, like you couldn't have had more than five babies. You, uh-huh. you know, all uh-huh. these weird random. BMI over 35. And well, you know, they were so old that it didn't even use the term BMI. It used oh, the no. term ideal body weight. Um, oh no. Oh yeah. No. So it, it just bad stuff. Um, so in, I started, I took over to be the clinical director of Mount Midwifery Center in 2012. And then I started reaching out to the health department to say, this is ridiculous. These regs are horrible. We need to reopen them. And I was essentially, you know, patted on the top of my head and said, oh dear, you know, you, you don't matter. You're not big enough. You're not serving enough people. Um, we can't justify the, the time and expense for just little old you. Um, and then, yeah, it was pretty gross. (laughs) And then thankfully a couple of other birth centers opened, um, in the state and I contacted them. Um, and we formed a coalition, the Colorado birth center coalition. We pulled some money and we hired Elephant Circle um, and Indra as an attorney to file a lawsuit to force the health department to open the regulations. Um, And at first the health department was like, no, still no. Um, And then we actually put started in motion the filing of the lawsuit. Um, And then they said, oh, no, 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 no. Hold on, (laughs) we'll we'll open the regulations. Um, So that was in 2000, the end of 2015. And then 2016 was a very laborious process of monthly and sometimes more than monthly stakeholder meetings where we- That is so labor intensive. Yes, oh my gosh. We rewrote them line by line. We had- um, met representatives, but the thing that was different in Colorado is we actually had community stakeholders, right? Right, So the health department was at the table. Yes, the hospital association was at the table. Um, The, you know, HICPUF and Medicaid, the DORA, the the nursing, you know, the regulatory body. Um, The state 
uh, fire marshal and safety people were there. Um, right. Elephant Circle was there. Consumer the groups were there. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, the the CPM organization was there. ACNM was there. ACOG came occasionally, but the, <laughs> but yeah. it was an actual meeting of real community stakeholders and people right. who know about birth centers. Right. Um, and so we were able to hammer out, I'm not saying the process was easy and I'm not saying there weren't some major hiccups in the road, but we were able to eventually hammer out some pretty decent, I feel really proud of our regulations um, right. that are new and, and standing. And well, so, so since we're on Colorado really quickly, can I ask you one of the things that I know that's been up for conversation is adding CPMs. Yes. to being able to own and operate birth centers. That's changed recently? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, that's exciting. Yeah, that was one of our pushes that we wanted to do in the 2016 rewrite. And for various reasons, it didn't get put in there, um, which is maddening, but <laughs> yeah. um, but the um, that happened in the current, in the most recently ended legislative session. So now CPMs are, are a listed approved provider in birth centers in the state of Colorado, which is huge. That's so the, major. The problem right now is, is that still CPMs in Colorado cannot bill Medicaid. That is um, a major problem. It's mm -hmm. a major problem. So there are two birth centers in the state currently that have CPMs on staff um, and they don't, you know, they can't bill Medicaid um, 100%. So there, it's a problem. Um, and of wow. course, CPMs are perfect for birth centers, right? I mean, of the, well, it's three, the majority of the workforce yeah. for community-based yeah. birth is CPMs. Yeah. So they should definitely be able to bill all insurances. I mean, yes, to be able to provide the care. I mean, it's just, I mean, let's put our like big picture, 30,000 foot view hats on for a second. And it's just so maddening that like, the stakeholders' goals don't match their actions over and over and over. Mm -hmm. how, how do you handle this? Like, I feel like it's gaslighting. This, this, you know, two double speak um, reality. It's like we need to improve safety outcomes. We need to reduce poor outcomes. We need more. You know, we're in healthcare deserts. We're in these physician shortages. We need more providers, and then they won't fund midwives and they won't fund birth centers and they won't take away the restrictive regulations. And like, it's just this total gaslighting experience. How do you deal with that personally and professionally? <sighs> it depends on the day. Um, yeah. I guess, you know, we have to keep moving forward and we have to keep standing up. I feel very strongly that it is time for midwives and midwifery advocates to um, stop being polite, um, yes. stop trying to, you know, go along to get along to start really standing up and saying things. You know, I, I was relatively, I could have been harsher, I think, but in my testimony <laughs> in Alabama, I stood up and I said, I want to give thanks to the level of expertise and knowledge that's in this room, which apparently yes. is not in the room. Um, when these regulations were crafted. Um, yes. Like, I think we have to start <laughs> I calling cheered it for out. that one. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I learned a phrase a long time ago that's definitely informed a lot of my work. And um, it's, it's just, you know, basically we've got to stop trying to sneak in the back door and walk in the front door like we own the damn house. Yes. 
And that kind of imagery changes how we are in relation to the space and to the other stakeholders and to ourselves, right? Yes. And as a profession, as this community-based birth profession, which includes multiple different license types, the only way there's going to be more options in community-based birth, the only way there's going to be more birth centers and more home birth providers is if we start acting like we belong in that space. Yes. So you speak loudly, you speak up, you don't hold back any punches. You also are using this position as a, a leader of a, of a major national organization to further this goal. What do you think people without that much influence can do? What are some of the steps that they can do? I mean, I, I believe that consumers really have a lot of power, um, especially if they kind of band together um, mm-hmm. and have a collective voice. Uh, which I think is the other side of the coin, right? I think midwives and birth workers need to start standing up and speaking the truth with power and like, you know, really hitting home. I think it's a cultural thing, right? We have been acculturated in the mainstream American culture to be polite and Mm -hmm. to build, you know, all of these euphemisms, build Mm -hmm. bridges and put your hand Mm -hmm. across the thing and da 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 and I know that in our country we're in this extremely polarized time politically so I'm not talking about that kind of stuff I'm talking about we need to stand up and start saying like our country is killing people it is dangerous to be pregnant in this country particularly if you are a member of BIPOC community right we the the data is irrefutable and I think we need to start, you know, shouting that from the rooftops and being very clear when we talk about that data, where does that data come from? It comes from the medical industrial complex. These horrific outcomes aren't coming from birth centers. They're not coming from home birth. They're not coming from midwifery models of care. They are coming from hospital-based physician models of care. So they need to own these outcomes and we need to make them own these outcomes um, so that we can really start to look at the things that we know that work to improve the outcomes. I get so frustrated Mm. when people are like, oh, home birth, birth center isn't safe. I'm like, no, what is not safe irrefutably is the current mainstream medical system, right? (laughs) It's really not. It's really not. It's, it's, it's unethical. Yes. It's unethical. It's a human rights violation. Yes. And so I think we need to say it as the providers and the the clinicians or, you know, whatever kind of term you want to use, but we also need the consumers to stand up as well. I mean, we can, we can do our part right from our side, but the consumers are that critical piece that also have to start getting angry and mad and they are, it's happening. Um, Mm -hmm. but it needs Mm -hmm. to kind of continue to grow, right. And build that momentum and really start to demand it because, Mm -hmm. you know, again, unfortunately our current healthcare model is for-profit driven, which never should be. I, I feel very strongly that healthcare should be nonprofit. Um, I am born and raised in America. I believe in many aspects of the capitalist system, but I don't believe that it serves us in any way, shape or form related to healthcare um, or education, but that's another side topic. But (laughs) uh, 
you know, regardless of your feelings of capitalism overall, I think it's pretty clear that it's failing the healthcare system. Um, but Absolutely. while we have a capitalist healthcare system, uh, the consumers hold the money. Yep. And the consumers yep. hold that power. And if yep. they start revolting and acting up, then, you know, money will listen um, to mm, what that is. Mm, so I think mm, that's mm, a critical component. And also well. voting with their dollar, because yes. although some um, are Medicaid and Medicaid doesn't quite contract with, with everyone that we would want them to, still 50, 60, 70% of the population is voting with their cash or with where they spend their insurance dollar. Yeah. And mm -hmm. continuing to demand midwifery care in all care locations changes this, yes. the game. Mm -hmm. And also how they vote at the ballot box, you yeah, know, definitely. Like from, definitely. from city councils up to federal elections. Like we have to start really paying attention to who we're voting for and why. Um, yep. and, and who we're giving that power to, um, and, and how that works, you know, and consumers being aware of who their state representatives are, right? Because these are yep. the people who have power in how Medicaid is distributed and how like, you know, exchange insurance companies work and all of this yep. stuff, you know, like yep. The, yep. Yep. these things are really important. Yep. You're not wrong. Wow. Yeah. Well, um, Aubrey, I, before we get to the end of our conversation today, I want to circle back to my first question. It was like, how did you get into all of this? Because <laughs> you are doing this incredible work um, on the ground and, um, you know, at the national level. Um, what what enthused you to become a midwife, to become um, a stakeholder and a leader? Tell us your journey. Well, I never uh, intended to or planned to become a leader. <laughs> Uh, that the best leaders of, never do. <laughs> yep, that was kind of foisted upon me very abruptly and suddenly. Um, but the <laughs> to become a midwife, I mean, I think it's a, I think it's an understandable cliche in that I had my first pregnancy um, yeah. and my first, you know, encounter with pregnancy. I had, I had been an artist. Um, I had been heavily into kind of herbalism and um, Reiki and kind of all these, you know, complementary um, healing modalities um, was seriously flirting with going to um, Chinese medicine school mm -hmm. um, to learn acupuncture and Chinese herbs. Uh, and then, you know, became pregnant. And it was interesting to me, <laughs> I don't know where it came from. I had, I was the first person in my kind of friend cohort age group to become pregnant. Um, my mother had very traditional 1970s birth experiences in the Midwest. Um, mm -hmm. So I, do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I don't. And what struck me when I became pregnant was I knew two things. They were like in my core self. I don't know where they came from or what they were about, but I knew I had to have a midwife. And even though I didn't really know what a midwife was <laughs> at the time, and then I knew I was going to breastfeed. I had never seen anyone breastfeed before, um, but these two things were like 
truths in my core. I don't know exactly. Encoded wisdom. You had encoded wisdom. Yeah. Thank you. That's a good way to describe it. I'm going to take that encoded wisdom. Um, And then I had to figure out what that meant. Right. Then I was like, how do I find this? Where do I go? How do I find this? What's going on? Um, And I eventually found, you know, a hospital based CNM practice. um, Mm -hmm. And I had a, I had a very typical hospital-based midwifery supported birth in a mm-hmm. hospital here in Denver. It was not traumatic. It was not uplifting. It was just kind of a thing that happened. Um, mm-hmm. 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 <laughs> um, I know without a doubt that if I hadn't had the midwives, I would have had a cesarean. Um, I uh-huh. had a uh-huh. asynclitic posterior, Ooh, almost nine pound baby as a oh. private. Um, oh, so, that story. <laughs> yes, yes, I have that. That was me. Um, and I was induced because I had severe pups. Um, oh, how like frustrating! Severe. It was. Oh, I'm so sorry. Yeah, it was oh. bad. Um, oh. So I was induced. I never got an epidural just because I'm I'm a stubborn nut and I refuse <laughs> to do it. Um, That's great. I tell people now, I don't know if it was the right choice. I mean, yeah, 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 yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't say, I don't share that story to be like, you don't need to get an epidural. If you, Pitocin labor is very different. Um, and yes. anyone who says that it's not, and that it's the same thing is blowing smoke up your ass. It is not. Yeah. Yeah. Not the no, no. Very different. Um, yep. Very different. But so I left that birth just kind of like feeling that there was more. I wasn't traumatized, but I knew that there was more and it could be and should be different. So, you know, then I started this whole, how do you become a midwife? And then, you know, mm-hmm. that's a, that's a sticky yeah. wicket. And this, Isn't was in it, the late, this was in the late nineties uh, when my oldest son was born. So it was a while ago. Um, and, you know, knew I didn't want to work in the hospitals. Um, so I was looking at, you know, the other types the CPM was brand new credential, right? Right, right, right. Really come about like 92, 94. Yeah. I want to say yeah, it was really yeah. new. Um, there was, mul- you know, there was the, the pathways to being a CPM were much more, um, well, and it only or- was a thing in like five States to be in. Right. right. And yes. then it, it grew was- slowly. Yeah. It wasn't in my state when I also was in that process. So yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. It was, it wasn't as clear as it is now. What um, year was this for you? This 90... was 97, yeah. 98. Yeah, yeah. 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 Same, same time for me. Yeah. yeah. It was all very new. Like it seems like not that long ago, but I like, know life you know was what? so different just that long ago. Yeah. Somebody said the other day, somebody said, oh, that was last century. And I went, excuse me? <laughs> they're not wrong. (laughs) They're not wrong, but I still don't like it. (laughs) Yeah. It makes us feel very old. Yeah. I remember, um, sending away for, um, uh, the, the newsletters by mail. Yeah. Remember that you would send in a check and then like two Uh weeks later you'd get like a folded printed mimeographed, like document. And then you would read every single word on every single page because it was your only access to midwifery. I know. Yes. Now it's like, one of the assignments remember one of the early assignments with um 
midwifery education was that you had to create a file on every complication. And it was actually a file folder with yes. copied random things out of random books. Do you remember this? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's How funny. did we do it? I don't I know. know. Anyway. And, and you had to stay by a phone because they like yes. carry a pager yeah. and oh God, I yep. remember this. So I, I was looking into it. I knew I didn't want to be a hospital midwife. So I was looking into the alternatives um, and it's very difficult and it was very difficult then, but to kind of find an apprentice, you know, find a preceptor yeah. and do this whole process. Um, yeah. Colorado, like many other places, um, it was a little bit insular. You know, you I, I get yeah. it. You had to kind of prove yourself. You know, you can't yeah. just walk in and say, this is what I want to do. Understandably yeah. so. And I was very kind of stubborn and wanted to do things. So while I was in the process of figuring this out and finding an apprenticeship, I thought, well, I'm going to take um, like general kind of nursing prereq kind of courses at the little, at the community college um, yep. down the street from me. Cause I thought, well, anatomy and physiology is a good course to take no matter what. And, you know, those kinds of Applies things. Applies to everything. Can. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Good. So I started the prereq program um, at the community college for nursing and then was building relationships and bridges and meeting people in the home birth world um, and kind of getting known there. And then I finished the prereqs um, for nursing school. At that same time, I, I kind of was offered a, a possibility of an apprenticeship with a midwife. Um, here in Colorado, and I shadowed her for a couple of weeks, it became very apparent that we were not a fit, um, mm -hmm. that it wasn't going to be advantageous, that it, you know, we just weren't a fit. Um, and so then I was like, well, now what am I going to do? Right. It took me two years to get, <laughs> to kind of mm -hmm. get somebody to mm -hmm. offer me an apprenticeship and it's not going to work. Um, also, I was a single mom at that time. And I mm -hmm. kind of realized, like, I don't know how I'm going to do this. How am I going right. to be on, call? be on call and be up all night and have a baby? Yeah. And have a mm -hmm. baby and be able to provide for that baby. Right. Like, how yeah. do I have a job? Yeah. Yeah. When I'm on call 24, like it started to become very difficult. Impossible. Um, to wrap impossible. My head around. Really, yeah. It's impossible. It's, yeah. And it, it still it really is. was absolutely yeah. ludicrous. It, yeah. I mean, it's ludicrous. The time and the cost and the sacrifice that it takes yeah. to become a community-based birth midwife, mid midwife right now keeps yeah. so many providers that would be in this out. Yep, yep. So then I applied to nursing school. Um, I didn't think I was gonna get in. At the time that I applied, they had 75 openings and something like 800 applicants. Oh my and God. So I sent it in and assumed I wouldn't get in and started to kind of move on and try and find another apprenticeship and do all of that. And then I don't know, you know, divine providence, who knows? <laughs> um, I was accepted and I took that as a sign like, okay, I guess I'm supposed to go this way. Um, wow. It's never what I meant to do. I never wanted to be a nurse. I never wanted to be a nurse midwife. I think sometimes the universe takes you in different places though. Now yeah. I'm thankful. Now I love full scope. I love, um, you know, full scope healthcare. I love annual yeah. exams and contraception and menopause support and, you know, all these other 
things that I can do as a CNM, I now appreciate and really like that. It was a difficult year's transition for me to accept it because I always felt a little bit like a traitor because uh, my roots and my heart was always in community birth. Um, well, it's interesting. And I, I, you didn't say this. And so, you know, correct me if I'm putting words in your mouth, but it seems like this, this is a common complaint or challenge of this really polarized midwifery world where it seems like there is competition between different types of midwives and even a hierarchy. You feel that too? Yes. 100%. Because I had built a lot of friends and relations with people in the home birth world. And as soon as I kind of started to step into the CNM world, I was treated very differently. Um, And I was actually, I'll never forget, I was at a a little, you know, local state kind of conference day kind of thing. And I was talking to another student and she was like, oh, where are you going? You know, we had, we were having this great conversation. It had been going on for several minutes. It was really lovely. And then it came out that I was going to um, nursing school and she literally stopped talking to me mid-sentence, turned her back and walked away. And I was like, whoa, okay, okay. <laughs> whoa, that it wasn't is everybody. crazy bias. Yeah, it whoa. wasn't everybody. It wasn't everywhere, but it was definitely there. And then the interesting thing I've noticed because I am a CNM, but I work in the community birth setting. So when I go to community birth, community-based places, I'm sometimes looked, I get side eye because I'm a CNM. When I and then am in the hospital in, space, you get side yeah. eye because you're community based. I so see this. This yes. is why I've been advocating, and this is why midwifery wisdom, our, our mission, has nothing to do with provider type and everything to do with provider location. Because right. the difference is not how you were trained, the difference is how you practice. And so there's a different model of care, a different way of practicing in the hospital than in the community. And so yeah. that's why everything we produce and everything we talk about at midwifery wisdom is for community-based providers. And let me tell you, I've done, I've done, I did my master's thesis on this education and there is seven different provider types that practice in the community setting for maternity care. Mm -hmm. Primary, primary provider, there's seven different types. And yet we stay in these isolated silos without any, you know, this information hoarding Yes. because there's no space for all of us to exist. And, and really that's what midwifery wisdom was kind of born in. It's like, a space for community-based birth providers, regardless of your pathway to education. If you're in yeah. the community, you're not doing epidurals in the community. You know, you're, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. you're, you're not doing C-sections in the community. Like there's a basic commonality in the two locations of care, even if there isn't, you know, the conversation about that. We need to make it a conversation. I'm so glad you said that. It, it yeah, means it, so it, much. It, yeah, it's huge. It's huge to feel like I, you belong. Yeah. Yeah. I I think that's one of the reasons I was drawn to AABC. So when I would go to, and we don't have to get into the whole situation that is mana right now, but when I would go to mana things, I'd get the side eye. And then when I would go to ACNM things, I would get the side eye, you know, and ACNM is also a hot mess right now too. So um, we don't need to get into those things, but at AABC, what I found was it's more, it's about the birth center model and there's CNMs and CPMs and physicians physicians who own birth centers. Yep. Yeah. And nurses Mm -hmm. and birth assistants and doulas, like it's very much more 
welcoming Location and of accommodating care. Yeah. Yes, mm -hmm. for the community yep. birth practitioners and providers and culture. Um, yep. And that's why I've always felt kind of more at home at AABC um, and why I was drawn to kind of be more involved with them. Um, that's awesome. And, and work through AABC because it's, it is that more, I don't have to explain. I don't have to go, yeah. I know I'm a CNM, but yeah, I know yeah. I work in, in a birth center, but you know, I don't have yeah. to do that. It's just all known. Um, that's beautiful, which is great and lovely. <laughs> that's beautiful. Um, and well, let's see. Yeah. Then I started work as a, as a birth center midwife, my first job was at Mount Midwifery Center. I had been working at Mount Midwifery Center as a nurse. Um, I was their first employee hire. Um, I was I was hired there in 2006. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah, and I worked as a nurse and I put together the first uh, breastfeeding class and the first kind of newborn care class. And I was the educator for those. Um, and then when I graduated from midwifery school, I became a midwife there. So I have really mostly oh. worked in birth centers when i came over to start seasons and the physician practice hired me i you know we have hospital privileges so that right. was my first time being an in-hospital midwife and that wow. was in 2017 so from 2010 to 2017 um i was birth center only then i now i'm kind of both and i have um feet in both worlds and i do again looking at the gratitude for the universe leading me where it led, I do love the full continuity that I can have that with our clients, Beautiful. that if we need to go to the hospital, we can go, they don't lose their care provider. Um, I get to facilitate, you know, beautiful births at the, in the hospital, within the hospital system, uh, because Such I'm a, a credential provider. And yeah. yeah, I mean, it's really a beautiful thing. And I think if, if this could be replicated across the country, it would be phenomenal, right? Like this, this is, I well, it's is the future phenomenal. is integration, collaboration, yeah. balance. It's the future for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, oh. that's the other thing, balance about birth centers, right? Is that yeah. we all know this, the life of a midwife is hard. Um, and I've never been a solo practice home birth midwife because I couldn't do that. Um, hats off to the people who can. Yeah. Um, I could not, I know myself, yeah. I know my limitations. I know my body. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah, I need definitely. to have a group, um, that well, shares and the also operate your, your well boundary. And that's what I think a lot of the community birth space is not well boundary. Right. Um, which is why we just released our boundaries for birth workers course <laughs> just <give that> plug <laughs> there, but it's, um, it's, it's really true. And it sounds like, you know, um, what I always say around boundaries is you have to be willing to disappoint others in order to stay true yeah. to yourself. Yeah. And I think that's what you're demonstrating by being like, I can't, because if, yeah. I, if I do that, I, I abandon myself. I injure myself. If I, if I do these things, I know I can't do. Yeah. Um, and 100%. I'm, I'm willing to disappoint clients and say, no, I only do birth center births so that they know, or no, I, I work with a team. <laughs> yeah. Know, I'm willing yeah. to disappoint them to say, I can stay true to myself. It's just brilliant. Thank you for well, demonstrating think, that. Yeah. I think that, um, birth center, I'm obviously biased, but I think birth center is this amazing thing because the families get midwife supported, midwife driven physiologic yep. birth support. Yep. And the midwives can have a work-life balance. And the thing that I always tell our clients 
you know, it's a small pool of midwives. It's not like, you know, six, 10, 12 midwives that you're going to meet. It's a small group of us, but the thing is, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if I'm there or if my partner Valerie is there or my partner, Jessica, because it's not about the midwife. It is about the model and it's about the individual family. And so it doesn't matter which one of us is at your birth because we're right. going to be that model. And I think there's the thing that happens in community birth where midwives are kind of foisted up on this pedestal, right? And there's kind of like this worship yes. thing that happens yes. with midwives. And I don't want that because there's only one way to go and that's down. <laughs> and well, it, it shouldn't it's, be about it's, us. It shouldn't exactly. be about us. It's about the, the centering family. is wrong. Yeah. It's yes. um yeah, there's a great midwife in Texas, uh, Margie Wallace actually, and she talks about how um everyone has to be the hero of their own story. Yes. And when the midwife takes up the hero location, it means that the person birthing has to choose one of two other options. And in, in the drama triangle, the hero is one archetype. The villain and the victim are the other two. Mm-hmm. And when the midwife is occupying the hero archetype, it right. means the client has to be the victim or be angry and be the villain. And that feels horrible. You it know? does. So I love this focus on the client. The client has to be centered. It's their story. It's not yes. ours. We're just yes. the supporting characters. Yeah. Yep. But it yep. takes it takes a really different mindset. It takes humility, it takes courage, it takes teamwork, it takes having a life outside of midwifery that you can be a hero in, so that when you come to work, you're just at work. That makes a huge difference, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and yeah, I mean, it's it's, it's a different shift, right, of the the mindset of it. Such a different shift, but it's so healthy for everyone. For the, the other thing and I for wanna, the midwife. Yeah. yeah, for the midwife too and the family. You know, it's yeah. not. And yeah, definitely, definitely. The other thing that I love about my current model, which kind of harkens back to something we were talking about earlier that I want to make really clear to say is that in our current iteration of seasons, we are dedicated to um, producing more midwives. And one of the things that we're doing is paying our students. Beautiful. So I, I definitely want that like out in the, <laughs> in the world, Beautiful. I want that knowledge out there um, because I remember, you know, we don't have to say how long ago, right. When I was doing this and right. that was a huge barrier. And so one yeah. of the things that we are dedicated to as an organization here at Seasons is to pay students while they are here with us so that Beautiful. we can help make it a more feasible path for people. Um, And I think that that is something that needs to be really talked about a lot too, because the current midwifery you're getting when, when you're not paying students, especially in the CPM route, right? You're, you have a student who's an advanced student and they're essentially, they're your birth assistant. um, And that's free labor. They are doing free labor. And unfortunately, there is, you know, story upon story upon story of that being abused horrifically. Yeah. Um, and yeah. so we are dedicated to not doing that and to paying our students um, a wage for the, the skill and the time and the energy that they bring to the table. Yeah, exactly. That's amazing. 
Well, I celebrate you. I really, um, it's been such a pleasure to speak to you and I'm so excited to share this with our listeners. How can people follow you and get more, get in touch with you? Oh yeah. So I am on Instagram and, uh, it's a midwife on the path. Um, you have a pretty good blog by the same name. Yeah. I was going to say it's the Instagram is at, you know, a midwife on the path. I'm also on Facebook. I don't know how many people are on Facebook (laughs) right now, but I'm there too. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to figure out what threads is. I never really got on Twitter. I'm trying to figure out threads. I don't know, but I'm a midwife on the path everywhere. And I also have a a website and a blog. um, That's a midwife on the path.com. And I also, um, I have a book and I, I, I'm really, we didn't even get into this. You just published a book a couple years ago. That's right. Oh my gosh. Okay. Quickly tell us about that. We'll link it in the show notes. Yeah. So it's called midwifery midwifery for expectant parents. And I'm really, really passionate about it because it's not for us, quote unquote, midwives. Um, It is for the regular person down the street who doesn't know anything about any of this (laughs) and gets pregnant and doesn't know what to do. And it really oh, you both the book through. that you needed. I love yeah, that. I did. Yeah. <laughs> I, love that. I did. So it really goes through there, you know, there's a small history of midwifery. There's a explanation about what midwives do. There's a explanation of the types of midwives in a non-biased, non-hierarchical way. Um, and why you might choose the different types of credentials and what they are. Um, what is a physician and how is physician care different? Um, information about pregnancy and postpartum. I, I, I feel really passionate about the book. Um, there's birth stories in there that are true, real birth stories that I was um, you know, able to attend. Um, I think it going back to what we were talking about before about engaging consumers, right. And making them kind of really understand what's happening. Um, I think that this book is a great kind of intro or primer, um, for the consumer about what is happening. Um, and so I feel really about it. Yeah. And again, it's called midwifery for expectant parents. Um, it's also very inclusive, um, for family types as well. That's beautiful. Well done. Congratulations. Thanks. (laughs) Thanks. <laughs> well, I really, again, so grateful to speak with you today. I uh, can't wait to share this and uh, we'll definitely stay in touch. We um, Yay, would exciting. love to have you be a speaker at this year's conference. So I'll reach yeah, out I to was going to say, I think you guys are coming to Denver, aren't yeah, you? Yeah, we are. Yeah, we are. would love to have you be a speaker. We'll, we'll reach out. Yeah, reach out to me. I'm here. <laughs> okay. Thank you so much, Aubrey. Have a great day. 